Welcome to the Equity Team Podcast, where we provide Sedona, Arizona real estate insight to help you thrive during your next real estate transaction. Okay, welcome investors. Welcome back to the Equity Team Podcast and YouTube video. So today we're joined by Sheila Long. She's a certified exchange specialist. She's vice president, regional sales executive for Old Republic Exchange. She's an affiliate of several realtor associations, an active member in the Commercial Real Estate Services Committee for the Scottsdale Association of Realtors, an active board member for Federation of Exchange Accommodators in her local CCIM chapter, and she teaches 1031 exchange process, which, which includes classes with realtors, escrow agents, CPAs, board associations, and she does a lot more than that too. So welcome, Sheila. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks, Chad. That was a mouthful. I appreciate it. I got through it. I didn't stumble too bad, so it worked out. Um, It's really great to have you here. And, you know, you have helped out uh, quite a few of our clients. And, uh, you know, we've been able to go through 1031 processes smoothly time after time. And you've been a great consultant for us. So thank you for all of that as well. Of course. Yes. Excited to be here. So the goal... You know, with the with these recordings, the goal is always just to give great, uh, fairly concise information to investors, uh, whether they're buyers, whether they're sellers, um, just to help people go through the process and be really well armed, you know, with this information so that they can make the best choices possible. So I've got a bunch of questions for you, and I'm ready to rip if you are. I am. I'm ready. So, but <laughs> all right, cool. So uh, I was hoping we could start with a few basic things and then get a little bit more advanced. Uh, the more basic stuff is, you know, a lot of times your people ask about what are the timeframes? What are we looking at with timeframes? So can you tell us what are the 1031 timeframes for identifying properties, for closing on properties, that kind of stuff? That's great. So I'm going to screen share here so that everyone can see what we're talking about. Tell me, can you see my screen okay? Are we ready? That's great. Wonderful. Okay, so there is a timeline, and I do want to warn all taxpayers, and that's what I'll call them. Anyone that's involved in an exchange is considered a taxpayer or the exchanger. Okay, so if you hear me say that, that's the same. That's, that is the individual wanting to protect their equity from capital gains when they're selling investment property. So the 1031 exchange has a timeline. And again, let me make sure I'm clear with this. This is for the investment held property. So raw land commercial, multifamily, maybe even mixed use, Chad. Maybe they live in a duplex and they've got, they're renting out one side and they're living in the other. That could qualify for a mixed use exchange. And now this timeline will start the day they close on what's called their relinquished property. That's the property they're selling, okay? So long as the taxpayer sets up the exchange, this timeline will start the day they close. So it doesn't start the day that maybe they accept an offer or when you know when the listing agreement has been signed between the the agent, the realtor, and the seller, okay, it starts the day they close. They then have a full exchange period of 180 days. But within that exchange period, Chad, is a 45-day window to identify a replacement property. That's it. 45 calendar days, weekends, holidays, all of that count. There's 45 days for, for a taxpayer to identify a potential re- replacement property in order to have a valid exchange. Mm-hmm. Okay, any questions on that? No, that's great. Yeah, so that's one to watch out for. This is one the qualified intermediary will work on quite closely with the taxpayer, making sure they understand this. Like, wow. 
You know, Sheila, one thing that would be really helpful as well, and it, it just occurred to me, it wasn't even in my notes, but it comes up often. A lot of people haven't heard of reverse 1031s, um, things like that, and that obviously has a different timetable. Um, do you mind just talking briefly about reverse 1031s and kind of what that would look like for the for the taxpayer? Yeah, that's my favorite. So the reverse exchange, if those of you that are watching saw that timeline and right then you went, wow, that's, that's way too overwhelming. You're not alone. So there is something called the reverse exchange. And this allows a taxpayer to sell the property after they acquire a replacement property. So let me say that again. You can buy the replacement property. And then that timeline we just looked at, you have 180 days to list and sell your relinquished property. So what does that do? That allows them to avoid that timeline because they know what they're selling. They know what they're acquiring. They just have to be motivated to make sure they sell that property within that 180 days. Well, that's great. Good information. Now, um, just to to keep diving in here, what would you say, aside from what you've already shared, uh, what's the most important thing that people should know about 1031s? Yes, you've got to set the exchange up in advance. This is one of the biggest mistakes taxpayers make. They list their property. They're filling out all the forms. They just start letting time pass. And then guess what? They forgot to set up the exchange. So in order for the exchange to be valid, the number one thing I want everyone to take away from today is to be sure to get a qualified intermediary involved early on. This will allow mistakes to be prevented, hazards that could get in the way, something like call to credit, which we'll talk about more in a moment, okay? Uh, watching out for for not accepting some terms that may not work and can credit, it can be a hazard to their timeline. So set the exchange up in advance, Chad. And it's one of those things too, for any of other agents that are listening in, not just the taxpayer considering the exchange or the investor, okay? Getting those on board early, right? Like getting a lender involved. We know this, Chad, right? Getting a lender involved early, getting a qualified intermediary involved in advance is really going to make a seamless experience, okay? Or much more of one. So that's the number one tip I would say is getting the exchange set up in advance and early on. Yeah. You know, even though I've brokered a lot of 1031 exchanges in in the course of doing these real estate transactions, Anytime a client says, oh, it's going to be a 1031, I always say, okay, wait, yes, I, I know what I'm doing, but we've got to get a 1031 specialist involved, talk to Sheila, talk to, talk to somebody, but you got you to gotta consult and you got to line things up so that we do this right, because there's a lot that can go wrong. And if we miss one little thing, then you're going to get taxed on it. And that is crushing. Yes. Yeah, so that's absolutely the number one. And now, Heather, I, I did mention, so I briefly want to discuss the fact, I mentioned credit. Okay, I do want sellers to be aware of credits. Okay, credits mean like seller concessions. Is that what it's called, Chad? That's yeah, that's right. Seller concessions is a really common way to put it in the transaction. And for those that that don't know, it's a common thing we do to help out buyers, not sellers, but it's a thing we do to help out buyers so that sellers at close of escrow are giving some of their money back to the buyer side and it reduces buyer cash, you know, to put into things. So that's, yeah, seller concessions, pretty common. Yeah. So I just want to say, watch out for that, Not to, to limit, to be careful with how many, right? Don't overinflate maybe a purchase price to give more of one of those concessions because credits are treated. So a credit could also be towards rent prorations, security deposits, okay? So it's not just always to help buy down the interest rate or closing costs 
adjustments for the buyer. It's also maybe giving a credit towards a security deposit that was held in mm-hmm. the building. Watch out for that, okay? Taxpayers, watch out. It's really one of those areas where it's treated, think of it this way, it's treated as a gift from one taxpayer to another. And the IRS doesn't want to see us taxpayers having too many benefits. So guess what? There's always rules against it that aren't in Yeah, want- really good points. And it sounds like, you know, when there's a 1031 involved, rather than doing seller concessions, if you're going to negotiate in that way, just do a price reduction instead, that it would be cleaner, you're not going to have 1031 problems, and you still get a better deal in the process. That would be the number one, I would say, yeah. comes to that. Okay. Cool. And lastly, I'll tell you one other one other thing to watch out for. Those of you, especially Chad, as we see a lot of land sales, mm-hmm. watch out for seller financing. And why do I say watch out for seller financing? The taxpayer that is selling the property and wants to do an exchange must sell and buy again for equal or greater value in order to have a 100% tax deferral. Anything less can be done. It's called a partial exchange. So if we have this taxpayer, right, this seller that's selling a piece of land for 500000 and the buyer says, I'll give you 200000 as a down payment, can you please carry the rest? Yes. When they buy the replacement property, they're not doing the equal or greater in value, right? Because now yeah. they've got financing they're carrying. So for those of you that are holding land, absolutely consult your tax professional. Remember, what I'm giving you today is not supposed to be considered tax advice, but t- do talk to your CPA, your tax professional, as well as a good qualified That's great clarification on that. Um now, that's, I think that's a great transition into another thing I'd like to, to hear your expertise on, and that is conversions of property type to property type. Now, back in the day, you know, you go back 15, 20, 25 years, I've, I've been investing and I've been in real estate long, even though I'm young, you know, been in it a long time. But back when I was less wise and knew less than I do today, I had been told back in the day, it has to be exactly the same property type that you sell and then you buy. For example, um, you know, office space to office space, manufactured home to manufactured home, single family home to single family home, you know, long-term rental to long-term rental, all of that. And what I found out is that there is some more flexibility than that. And I'd, I'd love to hear on that. What what can you do? What can't you do? All of that good stuff. Okay. This is great. That term is called like kind. So let me defer, define what like kind means. This is actually, Chad, the biggest misused term in our industry. It's the biggest misused term with our own tax professionals because people take it literally, like make and model, like you just said, right? You would think if I sell raw land, I've got to buy raw land again. Commercial Mm -hmm. property for commercial replacement property. No, like kind simply means any real estate, any real property held for investment or for use in trade and business, okay? So that means that your clients that are selling a commercial building can absolutely go and buy a single family residential rental. So if like kind doesn't mean same make and model, so let me be clear again, you can sell raw land, you can buy a single family, you can sell a single family, buy a commercial building, you can sell one, buy multiple, sell multiple to buy one, okay? So with that being said, that what if that's what like kind is, it simply means any real property held for investment, what doesn't qualify? Their single family home that they live in. So they can't sell an investment property and go and buy their primary home, okay? That's the difference. They must buy something held for investment. It's got to be at least a short-term rental, okay? Even 14 days or more, that's it, rented. 
as a property that considers is considered held for investment. Do they take investment and roll that into second home? No. So the second home and vacation are two different things. That is a great question. Okay. So here's what I want you to understand. When I say second home versus vacation home, the difference between a second home is it's held strictly for personal use. Maybe you have a family member living in it rent-free, okay? Or you're a snowbird and you don't ever rent that property. Under the safe harbor rules, in order for it to be considered held for investment, it needs to be rented for a minimum of 14 days a year. Yep. Negative years, okay? okay. There are some terms. So I, I always tell everyone, take out second home out of your head and turn it vacation home. It allows a little bit of usage as long as you're renting it for that minimum requirement. Yes. Okay. So, and one thing for you to be aware of is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of investors, we have our, our horse blinders on, right? And then we, we think about homes the way that they are financed, for example. So if it's second home financing, that's fine with what we're talking about, as long as it's rented out for at least two weeks a year, Got which it. is usually what, what the investors do. Okay. Yeah. Good deal. Well, that helps a lot with that clarification. So it sounds like with like kind, there there's no crossover concern if it's real estate to real estate, but how it's used is important. So investment to investments, um, personal use to personal use, and on and on. Is that right? Correct. Cool. Cool. Well, that's great clarification. And that really simplifies a very complicated, I know it's more complicated still, but that really simplifies that complicated chunk, which is really nice. So here's something that I've seen once, only once. It's very uncommon, but I think that if investors knew they could do this, they would do it a lot more often, especially those that have more 1031 funds that they need to put in something. How the heck do you use 1031 money to remodel, to improve a property as you purchase? Yes. So that is called the improvement exchange or also called the construction exchange exchange. And what this does is it allows a taxpayer to sell a relinquished property. That's the term in our world. Okay. Relinquished property is the one they're selling. Replacement property is the one they're acquiring. It allows a taxpayer to sell the relinquished property, buy the replacement property. And maybe remember that equal or greater we just talked about. So say they sold for 500,000. I always like math. If they want a hundred tax referral, what do they have to buy for? 500,000. What if I, they found that perfect replacement property for only 400000 What about the difference? And they don't want to do a partial exchange. Yeah. An improvement exchange allows them to identify the property, identify the improvements they want to make. They do have to hire a general contractor, okay? Those improvements have to be completed within 180 days. And the qualified intermediary like myself has to set up a special entity, an LLC, that parks title. Bear with me here. We have to set up an entity that will park title to the replacement property because the IRC tax code, the 1031, states that a taxpayer may not use exchange proceeds on improvements of a property they already own. Just to make So us is why sets up this entity called the exchange accommodation title holder. That EAT, the EAT holds title, pays the general contractor directly with the exchange funds, and all the funds can be used on the acquisition and the improvements. That's so cool. It's, it's awesome. so, so cool. I mean, it 
this is a huge, this for a lot of people, this is going to be a real breakthrough. So, and I want to walk investors through this a little bit so that they can kind of picture it in their heads. I'm a very visual person. Sometimes I have to take a journey inside my head and have a little, have a little visual experience. So, so let's say that you don't even know that you're going to be doing this until you get a little further in. Let's say, you know, it's going to be 1031, but you get through and, you know, we're talking, you're like, Chad, hey, actually, let's, let's really work on, on getting a deal here or whatever it is. Let's say I'm able to negotiate it way down. And now all of a sudden, it's a good problem to have. The price is lower than that 1031 amount. You're like, wait a minute, how do I deal with that? So here we are. And it's a property that you can obviously make improvements to and and on and on and on. So rather than losing that difference or losing the tax benefit, you make further improvements to that property, which gains value, obviously. And uh, the experience that I had before when going through this, it was a very organized client with a 1031 specialist, you know, nailed it, did everything right. Adding that LLC from scratch, which we didn't expect to do, it, it added about two weeks to the process. So it wasn't the end of the world. And on the selling side, of course, they wanted to close on time, but it worked out. It was fine. It was a little stressful for a few days. And then, you know, I worked it out, uh, you know, with a lot of great communication and negotiation on the whole bit. We're able to do it. It was totally fine. And it ended up being a win-win for everybody. You know, we we did close. Uh, seller got paid. Buyer was able to put in significant improvements. In fact, uh, put in a negative edge pool, did some other stuff. It was awesome. So cool. So they did all those things. They got full 1031 credit and it was just a win, win-win for everybody. It was awesome. So that is huge, being able to do a remodel. And I had always been told, no, that's a hard no. You cannot do that. And then I uh, went through that experience and it totally shattered my reality. It was it was very good thing. Yeah, it's definitely something like you mentioned in the beginning that they should try to look at and decide because if there's a lender involved, to let you know this part, Chad, if there's a lender involved at, in the replacement property acquisition, uh-uh. the lender's going to have to be aware of this. Because remember I just said we're setting up an LLC, we're parking title, yeah. and a lender being involved when their borrower, that's what they call them, right? My taxpayer is their borrower, okay? Mm-hmm. When a taxpayer cannot be on title or their borrower cannot be on the deed. Okay. Some lenders, most lenders have a problem with this. So this is something that a a taxpayer that wants to do an exchange, okay, the exchanger needs to make sure they're working with their lender, their qualified intermediary, making sure the lender can do to this and agree to the terms. All right. Because think of that two-week process that just happened with your client, right? With that one that just decided at the end. What if the lender said, no way? We can't agree to that, right? Uh, Not something that we're able to do. Then now you've got your client that's scrambling, right? That investor is scrambling trying to find another lender that can agree to the terms under the 1031 exchange. Nice. I can't say it enough. If they have an idea, they want to work through it in the beginning, right? And that's a lot of what getting us involved early on is going to save a taxpayer in some of these hazards and, and, and potential missed opportunities. Yeah. And you know, when it's out, it's really easy when I'm talking with my clients because I can just advise them and I can be like, okay, we need to loop in Sheila. We need to loop in Wayne Capital, whoever the lender is, and and just make sure that we're all talking. And then this is going to go great. But you know, if we don't do that, then it can cause a lot of issues. So my best advice for uh, for our audience would be, you know, really loop in your agent. If it's for sale by owner, it's it's okay. 
be careful if it's directly with the listing agent. Most agents don't know what the heck they're doing. It's just the truth of it. It's like anything else. You know, I mean, most people out there, it's just a job and they don't really dive in and they they don't know. So, you know, definitely talk with your agent, whether they're great or not. You got to talk with them. You got to make sure they know what you're doing. And if they're not as experienced with this kind of stuff, then you're going to have to run, you know, you have to run point on your own situation and you're going to have to talk with your 1031. You're going to have to talk with your lender. Make sure they know what's going on. Um, yeah. And make sure that we're in great shape. Now, uh, Sheila, you already gave some really great, um, you know, nuggets of, of wisdom as far as the 1031 process. But is there anything else that you wish more people were aware of for 1031s? And if no, that's OK, because you gave some great stuff earlier. Yeah, I do want to let everyone know to be careful as it's not a regulated industry. It's very interesting that the 1031 exchange is not a regulated industry. And what does that mean? Sometimes taxpayers will use a third party that is not carrying insurance or coverage. And they'll say, well, I really trust my my BFF, my best friend forever that can hold my funds. And then that best friend you know, is very ethical and doesn't go run off to Fiji with their money, but maybe they're in a car accident or something happens. Life happens, right? And now guess what happens? That timeline we showed you, that visual, now their money is locked up, right? They've got the money. The They sold the property. And guess what? If they run out of time with those timelines, the IRS sees it as a failed exchange. And guess what? Even though it wasn't their fault, the IRS still states taxes are due. So it's really important that you understand who you're using. Find a reputable, insured, qualified intermediary Okay, definitely make sure you're doing your homework on who you're using and go with someone that's got some backing. That's going to be the best advice I can give. Cool. That's awesome. All right. Well, Sheila, thank you so much again for being here. This was amazing. Really, really great information. I really mean that. And I hope that you'd consider coming back again as I get more questions from clients. I'd love to toss them at you. I'd be honored. Thanks so much, Chad. Cool. Thanks for tuning in to the Equity Team Podcast. To speak with one of our top agents, visit us at owninaz.com. That's O-W-N-I-N-A-Z.com. Or call us at 928-323-0031.